0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. This morning uh, I want to talk about seeking Jesus. Uh, There's a variety of reasons that people look for Christ and search for Him. And some of those reasons are good, some of those reasons are not so good. And we're going to look at that from the Scriptures this morning. Uh, in the book of John, we find a lot of examples of people that searched for Jesus and were seeking Him, and, and yet we find that many are for the wrong reasons. Uh, this became apparent as I was reading through John chapter 6, there were some interesting examples that started to stand out, so I started looking into that more, and uh, realized that there's a lot of <clears throat> benefit for us to study those things this morning, and so we're going to look at several different reasons that people might seek Jesus and make some, uh, some parallels to our time today. First of all, <clears throat> as we jump in here, there was a, a very prominent group as Jesus went about and taught and ministered to people and performed miracles and went about uh, teaching about the kingdom. There was a very prominent group of the Jews, his, peop- his own people, who hated that. They did not want Jesus' uh, fame to spread. They did not want his word to spread, and so they sought to kill Jesus to protect their own man-made religion. And that is, of course, the Pharisees. They were the prominent uh, uh, school of religious leaders at the time. There's other groups, of course, as well that that had. There's a bunch of different sects of the Jews. um, Three prominent ones, but but mainly the the Pharisees were in the lead here and. They had developed these traditions of the law. We've read about those things. We've studied about those things um, back in the Maccabean period where that, that came to be. They started to create their own rabbinical traditions, and they followed that diligently, and they really put emphasis on the tradition of the elders above the commandments of God, and Jesus rebukes them for that. But one of the groups that stands out here and as you look through John is this group that wants to kill Jesus to protect their own religion. We see some examples of that in John chapter 5. Now in John chapter 5, Jesus goes to the pool of, at Bethesda, and uh, He goes and He heals this man uh, that had been impotent. You know, there was a story of the angel that would come and stir up the waters, and the first one that would get in would be healed, and this man couldn't, and he, was, he had an infirmity for 38 years. Um, and so, he goes to this man on the Sabbath day, and he says, why can't you get in the water? He says, I have nobody to help me. So he says, take up thy bed, and rise and walk. And so the man gets up, and he walks, and he praises God. And and then the Pharisees find out about this, and they're very upset about this because Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath day. He did work on the Sabbath day. And not only that, he told this man to carry his bed, which they considered work. You can't do all of these things on the Sabbath day because you're breaking the commandment. In John chapter 5, verse 16, we see their response, their reaction after these men, these uh, Pharisees, find out that it was Jesus that healed this man. He says, Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay Him, because He had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill Him, because He not only had broken the Sabbath, but also uh, said also that God was His Father, making Himself equal with God. So not even even, uh, just for the fact that He healed somebody on the Sabbath day, which Jesus kind of corrects them and Rebukes them later. He says, Moses gave you the commandment of circumcision, and you circumcise somebody on the Sabbath day. So they're doing work on the Sabbath day to keep the commandments of God. So he calls them out for their hypocrisy. He says, And you're, you're mad at me, and you want to kill me because I've made a man every whit whole. I've made him every bit. I've, I've made him completely whole and healed. Um, and you want to kill me for that? But he says, God is the one that's doing this work. And so they hated him even more because he made himself equal with God. Um, so they question him and accuse him of sin on the Sabbath day. And he responds that, that it's God's work. But they were very angry because the reason, or one of the main reasons I think they were angry is because they didn't want the people to believe in Christ because that was threatening their power as the religious leaders, their control over the people. They didn't want to lose that. And we kind of see glimmers of that in John chapter 7, as, as the story progresses in John 5, he heals this man, and then later on he goes to the, to the temple, um, and he is preaching and teaching there, and the Pharisees are very angry because the more miracles he does, the more people are believing on him, and the more they're following him, and they don't want that. They don't want him to be followed, and so they send officers even to, to arrest him, and we'll, we'll see that here in just a moment. But in John chapter 7, we read about this uh, follow-up, so this is a continuation of that. Uh, into John 7. Then some of them of Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? So Jesus is there teaching boldly. He says he speaks boldly, and they saying, they're saying nothing to them. Do the rulers know indeed that this is very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knows whence he is. So they're, they're citing prophecies, and there's, it's very interesting in John chapter 7 because it highlights the Uh, diversity of opinions and and understandings of the law, and there was a great division about Christ, um, and where did He come from, who is this man, is He the Christ? Some believed, some did not, some people weren't sure, Uh, but He says, "We we don't know where Christ is supposed to come from, but when Christ cometh, no man knows, and so then Jesus knows and hears what they're saying, and He cries in the temple saying, you both know me and you know from where, you know whence I am, you know where I come from. And I have not come from myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. But him, uh, but I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. And they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour is not yet come. So it wasn't his time to be crucified yet, but they sought to take him. They wanted to, to take Jesus and arrest him and take him out right there. Uh, and many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man has done? So you see, kind of see their confusion about Christ. But notice the Pharisees' reaction mainly. The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him that he was so great and that many believed on him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. They wanted to go ahead and arrest him right there at the temple, but they couldn't. And this is very interesting because he's teaching and nobody is going to uh, lay hold on him. And it says in verse 44 some of them would have taken him, but no man laid his hand on him. Then then came the officers to the chief priests. I want you to notice the reaction of the Pharisees when these chief priests come, or these officers come back, and they're empty-handed. They don't have Jesus. They come to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they say, Why have you not brought him? The Pharisees are angry at these officers. And the officer answered, Never man spake like this man. Even the officers were moved by the way Jesus was speaking, and they were not sure. They, They knew that something was different about this man. And the Pharisees didn't like that. Then answered the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? you see their attitude? What, what? Are you so blind too? They are they, they putting, them, putting themselves in this position of knowledge and this position of power as if they know for certain that this is not Christ and that they, He should not be listened to or believed or followed. And they're threatened. And so they tell these officers, are you deceived? Have any of the rulers of the <laughs> Pharisees believed on Him? They said, look at us. We're the rulers here we're the leaders here. Have we believed on Him? Then why are, you, why are you doing this? Are you also deceived? And they're mad at the people and they say, this people that knows not the law, they're cursed. So look at the way they're treating the people who are listening to Christ and hearing His words and believing. They're like, oh, these, these ignorant people, they're so, these people are so dumb. They don't know the law. They're cursed. They don't know the law like we know the law. They're not following Uh, god the way he he should be followed which is the way we're following him that's their attitude and the reason is they're threatened because they want to kill jesus to get him out of the way to protect their man-made religion because under the law of christ and under his commandments these these pharisees there's no need for them because jesus is the head not these pharisees they wanted to remain in that position of power and it this takes away their power and it makes it gives it empowers the people to follow God and pursue Christ without the need of these Pharisees um, And they didn't like that. Um, and, and that makes me think of today there's a lot of people that do just like the Pharisees do. And Jesus rebuked them for what they did and their main uh, their core sin against God. He says Mark chapter 7 verse six he answered and said, well has the prophet Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That means their worship to God is empty. It is meaningless because they're teaching as, as doctrines. They're holding up as doctrines commandments of men. And, and they make up these rules. They make up these commandments. They make up these systems and they teach that as if it were the commandments of God, but it's actually their own commandments, and that makes their worship empty. It's meaningless. They gather and worship to God every Sabbath day and throughout their life, and it's meaningless. It's empty. Why? Because they've laid aside the commandments of God, and they instead hold the tradition of men, like the washing of pots and cups, They were very big on these ceremonial cleansings and washings and all these things that they would do. And there's a bunch of other examples in the Scriptures that talk about the things they do. Like if they go to the marketplace where all the dirty people are, they're going to have to go wash before they eat. They have to go and clean themselves because they don't want to be unholy, which was never a commandment that was given. And he said to them, Full well you reject the commandment of God so that you may keep your own tradition. That's the the fault of the Pharisees. And how many people are doing that very same thing in, in our world today. And and if we're not careful, we could be guilty of that ourselves. But there's a lot of religious leaders that hold power over people. I mean, think about like the conventions, like the Southern Baptist Convention. They get together, this group of men, this body of men, they vote on whether something is good or whether it's not. There was just this big, there was a big debacle uh, lately that was in the news just not too long ago about whether women should be preaching or not. And you know how they settled that? They voted on it. <laughs> and, and so this group of, of men and, and uh, these leaders of these groups, they come up with these bylaws and they vote on whether or not it's good or not, no matter what the Bible says. The Bible is clear on that, on that topic. 1 Corinthians 14 teaches about that. Um, and, and that's not the pattern that God wants. Yet they get together and they vote on it and they say, okay, it's approved. And so then all the churches that agree to those bylaws and use that as their standards, they go and just agree with that. They do that. What about all the the schools? There's preaching schools that teach these doctrines that are approved, and then they go out and carry that out to all these other churches. And these these ministers and these preachers go and take these ideas to to all these congregations. What about, like... The, the group that I came out of, the, the Catholic Church with the Vatican. They've got a pope, and he determines uh, what is biblical or what is scriptural or can introduce some new thing, and then there's a body of, of, you know, bishops and cardinals, and there's this whole system, and then they carry that out to the rest of the church. So these these men that are in power over these, these people, just like the Pharisees were. What about, there's, there's so many examples. You can think of the Watchtower with Jehovah's Witnesses. they they do everything that the group, the governing body, tells them uh, to do. There's, uh, you know, the Mormons have a similar thing with their apostles, the, 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 with their, their elder, you know, there's other uh, denominations also with elder boards, and they have these, these uh, heads, these organizations, these leaders at the top that make decisions for the rest of their congregations and their denomination. It's the same type of thing, and when those groups are challenged, And if you talk to people in those groups, when you challenge them with the scriptures and show them the scriptures, they either defer to their own authority or they don't allow people to question them. They don't allow people to to ask questions about whether the things they're doing are biblical or not. And so it's groups like these and the people in them that promote that and protect their their man-made religion that they're a part of, they seek to kill Christ because He topples their authority. And, and, in, and in our day, killing Christ is just removing him out of the way. Let's just not listen to his commandments. Let's just, let's just get him out of the way because it's inconvenient for us. And we may also seek to kill and remove Christ. If, if we're caught up in man-made doctrines and religions also, you know, we might think, well, my family doesn't believe that. If we, if we come into conflict with the scriptures, we might defer to our family and say, well, my family's always believed the X, Y, Z. My grandpa always taught me this, or the pastor always said this, or, you know, you go and defer to the authority of, of, you know, whatever your group is. I've had a lot of conversations with people. Well, my church says X, Y, Z. Well, or people might look to their own authority and say, well, that's not what I think. So there are ways that, that we carry this out today still where people are removing Christ. They want Him out of the way so that they can continue to and protect their own religious uh, ideas and their own man-made religion. And so that's one way that people seek Christ. They seek to kill Him. The next way is some seek Christ because of the miracles He does. There's a lot of people that that we see and read about in the Bible. uh, In John chapter, or in John chapter 6 particularly, it says this, uh, that the great multitude followed Him because they saw His miracles, which He did on them that were diseased. So there was a ton of people that followed Him, great multitudes, thousands of people that would, that would flock to wherever Jesus was at because they saw the great things that He did, and they saw these, these, the power that He had and the ways that He healed people. And, and admittedly, that would be something to get up and go to and go see for yourself. Um, I would. If I heard about Jesus uh, being in some place, I would, I would get up and go. Uh, to go and see, and go and, and, and see these miracles. So, um, however, I don't know that the Scriptures indicate that this multitude were following Him in the sense that they believed Him and they really wanted to be a part of what He was doing. They just wanted to see more of these miracles. And there were people that, that sought Christ and they, they, they seek Him because they're in great need and they want some miracle performed. There's examples of that, John 4. Jesus came into Cana of Galilee, where he made that water into wine. And there was a certain nobleman a nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son. So he went out looking for Christ. He knew he was there. He went and sought him, and he was in great need. And he said, please heal my son, for he's at the point of death. And then Jesus kind of rebukes him a bit. He says, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And so... It, it, he, he touches on it with this man. And I think that's the sense in John chapter six, these people were just following him because they need to see some great thing. They need to see some great show of power. And the nobleman said, please come down unless my child die. And he says, go thy way, thy son liveth. And so he healed his son. Uh, Jesus still healed that man's son and he, he took care of that, that, that boy. And so, and so he lived, but, but there's a lot of people who, who go to Christ And they need to see these things, otherwise they're not going to believe. And that's what Jesus says here. Except you see these great signs and you see these wonders, you're not going to believe. And that happened. I mean, there was even, rather, in John chapter 12, it says, But though He had done so many miracles before them, yet they they believed not. There were some places that He would go and do these miracles, and people wouldn't even believe then. And so it's kind of a mixed bag. Some people see it uh, and they will believe it, and they need to see that. There's examples of that even in the apostles. Thomas said uh, when, the, when Jesus came and appeared to them after His resurrection, all the disciples were there, all the apostles, except Thomas. And when He comes back, the disciples tell Him, we, see, we saw Jesus, and He was here. He's back. He's ra- risen from the dead. And Thomas says, I'm not going to believe that until I see it for myself, and until I put my hand in His side, until I until I see the scars in His hands and, and put my fingers there, I'm not going to believe it. And so then Jesus appears and says, okay, here I am. And, and so people act that way. They want to see, they're not going to believe it until they see something and they, they want some proof, they want some evidence. And so that's not always altogether bad, but it's more about the attitude that people have regarding these miracles. Some people treat it as this great entertainment um, and that happens today. There's a lot of people who think of miracles and, and think that there's these great uh, shows of power and, and there's all kinds of churches that practice these types of things and they gather people and they make this big entertaining show out of it and, and act like they're healing people, but some people are driven to need to see those types of things in order to believe. and so um, But it's more about the show rather than Christ and His Word and His teaching. And there's, there's other indications of that in the Scriptures where people will seek Him just, just, just to come and watch. They're just spectators. They're just for sport. There was people like that mentioned, like in, in Luke 23, verse 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for, not because he wanted to follow Jesus or hear about Jesus. He was desirous to see, see Him of a long season because he had heard many things of Him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by Him. So here's Herod the king. He just wants to see, He's so excited that... You know, he, Christ is arrested. Pilate sends him to Herod, uh, and Herod's really excited because he just wants to see some power. He just wants to see something. It's exciting, and that's what people are doing when they follow Christ. Some, some are seeking Christ because it's, it's just an entertaining show, and it's exciting, but they're not really in it, and they're not really disciples who are following him for the right reason. Now, another group that is apparent in John, um, in John chapter 6, <clears throat> Is a group of people that seeked Jesus to fulfill their own political purposes. That happens, um, and that, that happens and happened in the day of Christ. There was, uh, which which it would you know had at that point become a false religion. But but these Jews that were very uh, politically motivated, they were very politically driven because they they believed. Uh, of course, there was prophecies in the Old Testament that foretold of a king that would come and restore Israel and that the the way their rabbis taught them and the way they they became they, they began to expect this to be fulfilled is that some great political figure would come and and destroy all their enemies and they were expecting this physical kingdom and they were expecting them to be freed from Rome and there was a lot of animus towards Rome and and maybe rightfully so Rome did a lot of heinous things and there were you know a lot of fighting back and forth between these groups but they were they despised the fact that they were enslaved to Rome and that Rome was in power over them. And so there was a group, um, and they're kind of mentioned in the scriptures, the zealots um, that, that really wanted to incite this war and this insurrection against Rome and really topple them and take them down. And they wanted this their Messiah to be this war figure. And that's what they wanted. They wanted to fulfill that because it was this political, religious political purpose uh, that they had. And in John 6, 14, when Jesus in John six fourteen, that great multitude had followed him because they saw the miracles that he did, and there was about five thousand men, it says, and Jesus feeds them and does that great miracle, and they all see that. And when they saw that, in verse fourteen it says, When they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. He's the Messiah we've been waiting for. Now's the time for us to launch this attack and take over the, the you know, take over our land again and topple this government, and take over the world. And so then Jesus, therefore, perceived that they would come and take Him by force. That's how devoted these people were to their religious, political idea. They were going to come and take Him by force with violence. They were going to charge up there and take Jesus and make Him a king. And when Jesus perceived that, He departed into a mountain Himself alone. He sent His disciples away, and in other chapters it says that He compelled them, He urged them to leave, and so His disciples got in a boat, and they crossed across the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus went off to a mountain by Himself. And these people, because they were so intent on seeking Christ to fulfill their own political purposes, they were going to come and take Him by force. And of course, as I mentioned, that was the leading messianic idea of the day. So you have to understand that a lot of people had that idea, but this particular group were were very zealous for that. They had this expectation of that king, and again, they're called zealots. Uh, one of the disciples even, uh, Luke 6, verse 15, Simon called zealotes, that, that word zealot. Um, he's part of this religious faction. Uh, and this group wanted Jer- Jerusalem to be free, of course, and setting up these these insurrections and, and these fighting against Rome. Um, when you think about the atmosphere of the day and understand that political setting, some more things make sense, like the way they were astonished. They tried to, to trap Jesus because the Pharisees hated Rome as well. And there was another group of the Herodians. The Pharisees and the Herodians were enemies, but, but the, you know, they, were, they became friends in, in the fact that Jesus was their enemy. And this is what they ask Him in Matthew 22. They're trying to tri- trip Him up and trying to tempt Him. Uh, they sent out to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, "Master, we know that you are true, and thou teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar, or not?" They wanted to trip Jesus up because if he says, "Yeah, it's lawful," then they could say, "No, this guy is not the true Messiah, uh, because he's going to be loyal to Rome and he wants to. He's okay with this." Or if he says, "No, it's you know, it's not fine," then. They, Either way, they thought this was a perfect trap, and of course Jesus says, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and unto God what belongs to him, and they were astonished at this, but, but this was politically motivated, this question, uh, because they wanted—it it just hints at and, and shows us their view of Rome and, and the way they're trying to trap Jesus in this, and the way they expect this Messiah to come and to be against this, this government that they're under. Um, But they were astonished at that because that's the leading idea of the day. There's other examples that talk about these these factions that rise up because, again, they were expecting this man to come. As the Scriptures were told, the prophet would rise up. And so there was people that would spring up and claim to be the Messiah. And in Acts 5, Gamaliel, one of the Jewish teachers, actually talks about a couple of those. Verse 36 and 37, he says, For in these days rose up uh, Theodos, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to nothing. And so this man, Theudas, he, he rose up, claiming to be the Christ, claiming to be the Messiah and, and persuaded people to follow him, but it was nothing. And then there was another man, Judas of Galilee, in the days of taxing, he drew away much people after him and he also perished and all, as many as obeyed him and were dispersed. This was a frequent thing that would take place in the days of the Jews in, these, in this time of Christ. Somebody would come up and claim to be the Christ, and people would follow Him, and then they would come to nothing. And Jesus even warned about that in Matthew 24. He says, there's people that would come and say, here is Christ or there is Christ, don't believe them. He said, many false Christs would rise up, and and this is why He's warning them, because this was the environment of the day. They were waiting for this Messiah to come. But some people live that way, and they're seeking Christ to fulfill this uh, political desire that they have. The Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Luke 17, verse 20, and and they demanded, uh, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said, the kingdom of God comes not with observation. It's not something that you're going to be able to see in the way they expected. Neither shall they say, lo here or "Lo, lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So the kingdom was not what they expected, and this king was not what they expected, and they hated him for that even more. Um, that caused them to, to hate Christ more. But thinking about today, how many Christians today use God and the Bible to try, try to justify their political purpose? There's a lot of people that use the Scriptures that try to justify things that are happening today in our time. Now, of course, we need to use the Bible and we need to use the Scriptures to make righteous judgments, to make good decisions for what's happening in our life and what's in front of us today, because the Scriptures are useful for those purposes. But a lot of people have twisted views about America and that, you know, I, I was talking to one brother who had a discussion with somebody in the church who was just convinced, yeah, no, it's, it's mentioned in the Bible. America is mentioned in the Bible. It's not. It's not. And America is not the church. Um, and, and it's not better than any other. As far as nations go, it's better in, in that sense. Yeah, we're, we're a great nation. We're blessed to live here. But biblically speaking, it's not like we're at some spiritual advantage that other people in other countries are, are uh, that we have over other people in other countries. they are Christians in those lands trying to follow the Bible just like we are. I've been to India. I've been to Belize. I've been with the brothers and sisters in those places. They're not much different than us. The environment is different, sure. But spiritually speaking, sometimes I think they're better off than we are because they're less distracted. but there's a lot of people that read their politics into the scriptures. I don't know how often uh, you come across things online where it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican or whatever political faction you want to be a part of, I suppose. People try to use the Bible and say, see, it supports my political idea. See, Jesus was a Democrat. See, Jesus was a Republican. See, G-. No, he wasn't. <laughs> Jesus was a Jew. And Jesus was a, the king of the Jews, and he came to set up his kingdom. He wasn't here to be uh, a partisan in some government of America or any government of our world. He, he came to set up his own kingdom. And, and we shouldn't pursue Christ just to fulfill and pursue Christ and take him by force and use him as this battering ram against our political opponents. That's not right. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of churches today that, you know, they call themselves patriots and they, you know, say, oh, we're the church and we're here for America and all this and they're mixing these things and that's not good either. Um, that 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 is going along these lines. And beside that, if we're talking about just even biblically, how many churches today still hold to some idea like this that say the kingdom of God is coming? And so premillennial doctrines are, are rooted in this idea that that Christ is coming to set up some kingdom. They're using Christ to set up their religious ideas and say, he's coming and he's going to establish his kingdom. And so they're waiting for him and they're seeking Christ because they have this expectation and it's a false idea. It's not something that the scriptures support because he already came and set up his kingdom. It's not a future time from us now. That's already happened in the days of, of the first century. But there are still people who seek Christ to fulfill these religious or political ideas. Uh, the next group I want to talk about is some... Seek Christ to be freeloaders. That's all some people want Jesus for, is to get something. They just want to get something out of Him. We have needs. We have wants. We're hungry. We want food. Give us food. When these people saw the miracle that He did of feeding the 5,000, they all ate. And it says they were filled. They ate as much as they wanted. Jesus made that much of the food, and then they even took up leftovers after. Twelve baskets full of fragments of these fish and this bread. And in John 6, 22, I want, to, I want to read this to highlight how much effort these people went through to go and seek Christ, these people that saw the miracle. So the disciples go in the boat. Jesus compels them. They, across, they cross the Sea of Galilee. They go to the other side. And then and that's the miracle where Jesus walks on the water. He goes across and walks across the water to them on the other side. And these people knew that Jesus didn't go with His disciples. They were very observant and very watchful. And they're watching every little movement that Christ makes. And they knew He didn't go over there. Jesus walked over there. So the next day, they can't find Christ. And they're looking for Him. When the people stood on the other side of the sea and they saw there was none other boat there, save that one, they're looking across and they don't see anything other than the boat that His disciples went into. They're tracking Him down. Um, and And they knew that Jesus went not with His disciples, but that His disciples were gone away alone. And, and they did see other boats from tiberius night of the place where they ate bread after the lord had given thanks and the people therefore saw that jesus they're like okay there's these other boats there's only this other boat that the disciples went into jesus didn't get into a boat he must be on this side so they're looking around and the people therefore saw that he was not there neither his disciples so they're also going to where his disciples are at they're looking for him among the disciples they can't find him then they decide, okay, we're all going to jump in ships too. They took to the shipping. They got in these boats and they went across and they came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. They were putting a lot of effort into finding Jesus. Why? Why were they putting so much effort? Is it because they just had this longing and this hungering for his word and for his teaching and wanted to be near him? No. They're, they had a longing and hungering for the food that he gave them. And when they found him on the other side, they're like, Rabbi, when did you come here? When did you even get over here. They they were so curious about that. But Jesus answered and, and just called them out. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat that perishes, but for the meat that endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you, for him hath God the Father sealed. So Jesus rebukes them right here and tells them, you're not following me for the right reason. You're following me because you ate the bread. Um, and and you should follow me for the right reason and seek the 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 meat that does not perish. Labor not for the meat that perishes. And so they're sort of convicted here, and then they say, "Okay, what what do we do then?" That's what they ask him in the next verse, uh, John six twenty eight. Then they said to him, "What shall we do that we might work the works of God?" <coughs> Jesus answered and said, "This is the work that you believe on him who he has sent." follow me and look for me and be, be hungry and thirsty for what I'm saying to you and my words and believe in me. And they said, well, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? These are the same people that just ate of the, of the food. They saw this great miracle that he did. He fed all these people. They obviously didn't understand or care. They were just happy to get food. They were just so distracted by what they were eating. They weren't thinking about what was happening around them. And now they're testing him and trying to challenge him and say, okay, we'll prove it. If you're this Messiah we're supposed to follow, prove it. What, what work do you, are you going to do to prove that? And they give him an example. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So he's like, Moses gave them bread to prove that God was with him. What are you going to do? They just wanted more bread, it seems like, um, potentially. And then Jesus said to them, verily, verily, I say unto you, they're, they're really fixated on that food. Jesus said to them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. They're like, give, let us have that bread. And so he tells them what they need to hear and tells them what they need to do. He says, I am the bread. And they didn't like that. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that comes to Me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on Me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you also have seen Me and believe not." He tells them exactly what they need, and they don't believe. And then they murmured at Him, in verse 41, the Jews murmured at Him because He said, "'I am the bread which came down from heaven.'" And they said, "'Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? And is, is it, uh, How is it then that He saith, "'I came down from heaven.'" They're just so appalled and confused by what Jesus is saying. And again, he tells them that you must eat my blood and drink my flesh in order to be saved and, and have eternal life and to be with me and, and, and they just were so repulsed by all of that. And What are you talking about? They didn't really want to hear what Jesus had to say and do what Jesus told them that they should do. They just wanted to freeload and get something out of Jesus. And again, how many people live in Christ that way? It's not really about pursuing Christ. It's not really about seeking His way. It's not really about putting all the effort in to obey His word and to, to cross, uh, cross over these seas to, to go and find Him. And we put all this great effort. It's about, I'm just following Jesus to make sure I have what I need. You know, Jesus promised He was gonna take care of me. And so I'm gonna seek Him. I'm not seeking the kingdom first. I'm seeking my needs first because I know that's, God's gonna give me those things. And I'm just coming to Him because I'm getting a free meal and I want, all, I want to treat him like a spiritual vending machine. When I have a need, I'm going to go to pray to him, and we should pray to him and let our requests be known. Paul said that that is something we should do to him and for him and, and that we can go to God and tell him what we need and let our requests be made known. But he's not a spiritual vending machine. Where every time we think we're, you know, we're running low on the bank account, we're running low on the groceries, we're running low on the whatever, just going to Him and just expecting to get something. We can't treat God that way. Uh, We need to seek Him and pursue Him because we actually want Him, the bread of life, and not just to fulfill our own physical flesh and fill our needs. Uh, But that's what these people were doing. Uh, There are others that are mentioned in John 6. Quickly, we'll go through this. Some seek Jesus, and just like kind of like this group, they're not really seeking His Word. Now, these were disciples. These people weren't even called disciples, but these are disciples. These are mentioned as disciples. They're followers of Christ, but they aren't really seeking His Word. They want to be disciples. They're not really seeking His Word. In John 6, 59 through uh, 66, it says, These things in uh, teaching about the bread of life and all those things. He was teaching in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. "Many Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When he said, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, they were like, this is, this is too hard. This is a hard saying. Who can, who can hear that? And they were offended by this. And Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured. He said, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? And he tells them to pay attention to what he's talking about. It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. He's not talking about his physical body and physical blood. He's talking about a spiritual concept. He said, It's the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are the spirit. Uh, they are spirit and they are life. Pay attention to my words. Follow my words, eat and drink of my words. And 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 he's talking about his his blood and his body, of course. He, and he says, But there's some of you that do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, therefore, I say unto you that no man can come to me except it were given to him of my father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. This great political figure, this Messiah they were waiting for to be the king, they were like, this is, this is weird. This is hard. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And so they just withdrew from Christ and they followed no more, He says. They walked no more with him. These were disciples. These are the Disciples that had come to Christ, that had obeyed Him, that were baptized in His name, that were followers of Him and learning from Him. In John chapter 4, it says, uh, The Lord knew the Pharisees heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. There was hordes of people coming all around about Judea, it says, and and the regions roundabout that came to John and were being baptized in the Jordan. More people were coming to to Christ and being baptized into Christ, it says. Jesus Himself wasn't baptizing, but His disciples were. And so he was making a lot of disciples in that time and they were following him and there was many many people that were his disciples so they were baptized into christ and they they heard and they followed and it i guess they were excited at first but then it became difficult and jesus encouraged people if they want to be his disciples continue in my word he said in john 8 then he spake these words uh, and He spake these words, many believed on Him, and Jesus said to those Jews that believed on Him, "'If you continue in My word, then you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free.'" Of course, they murmured at that, and were like, we're Abraham's seed. We're all, we've always been free. And it's ironic because they were you know, under the Roman government, and they weren't free, but He says, we've never been in bondage to anyone. But again, Jesus encourages them, follow My word, and you'll be, you really will be My disciples. And so there were people who were His disciples. But now they're confused and disappointed that Christ is not what they wanted Him to be. Christ is teaching them things that they don't want to hear. Christ is teaching them things that are confusing and are are difficult. This is a hard saying. And so instead of leaning in and understanding, they turn away from Him. They back away. And many disciples walked away because they were not really with Him. And today, how many people that are baptized into Christ and claim to be followers of Christ, and claim to want to be following Him, turn away when things get tough, when the teachings are too challenging, when they realize that God is serious about the demands that He makes on our life, asking us for sacrifice, asking us to give up all, and have a willingness to give up all. He's serious about that, but it's hard. Jesus said this would be the case. In uh, Matthew 13, in the parable of the sower, he says, There are some that receive seed in stony places, the same is he that hears the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. He's so excited. They're, they're, they receive the word with joy. They're going to follow it. They're going to obey it. Yet he hath not rooted himself, but endures for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he's offended. Nah. You come into conflict with the word of God and say, you know what? I'd rather go with my own feeling on this. I don't want to go with what Jesus says. How many people do that? I mean, I think about people all the time who you study with, you invest the time, you build relationships with them, they're baptized into Christ, they seem so excited, but as soon as they come up to commandments that they don't want to hear and they don't like, they back away and they fall away, and they don't want it. They're offended because the scriptures, isn't, they're, the scriptures are not affirming what they want to feel and what they want to think. God wants us to conform ourselves to His Word, not the other way around. And yet people want to take His Word and conform it to our own ways. And when they can't do that, I mean, they can. They can do that all they want, I suppose, but they're not really following Christ, when God calls us to conform to His Word, that's too much for some people, and they're going to just fall away. And that's some of these disciples. It, was, it became too much for them, they turned away from Christ, and they left. Now, finally, <clears throat> in John chapter 6, we do see a group of people who were following Him for the right reasons, uh, because there are some that do seek Him. These people left, these disciples left, He confronted them with the truth, they heard something they didn't want to hear, they left. And he looks at his disciples, the 12, and he says, will you also go away? That's all that's left. He says, are you also going to leave? And then Simon answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter says, where else can we go? We're seeking you were seeking your words you have the words of eternal life they had they had the right mindset about this now of course they didn't fully understand everything and they had their faults and they had their problems and they would fall away in some ways and and leave christ and yes yeah, so ultimately ultimately forsaken when it got extremely difficult but <clears throat> they had the right heart and mindset about it they knew that there was no other person that could save them And so, even after Jesus' resurrection, when they are encouraged, they're strengthened, they're they're converted, they're uh, they're emboldened. Acts chapter four, verse twelve, Peter says, "Neither with John, him and John both, they say neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved." Peter knew where to go for salvation, and he was following Christ for the right reason, and the disciples were following for the right reason. Of course, there would one who who would fall and betray him. And Jesus knew that too, but they knew His word was eternal life. And that's what Jesus said in John 5, verse 38. You have not His word abiding in you. For whom He hath sent, Him you believe not. They believed in Christ because they had His word abiding in them. And Jesus encourages us, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And He talks about those who don't believe. You will not come that you might have life, But these disciples, Peter and the apostles, they come to him because they want life and they want his word. And they left everything. Peter even says that to Christ in Luke 18. Uh, Jesus says, we must forsake all. And Peter says, lo, we have left all and followed thee. So they did, they got up and left what they had and they followed Christ. And he said, verily I say, there's no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who will not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. The apostles didn't leave everything so that they could get something out of Christ and freeload. They did it because it was the right thing to do. And in the process, God blessed them with, with a lot. That's what Jesus meant when he said, seek ye the kingdom first, and these things will be added to you. Not seek the things, seek all of those things to be added to you, and then if there's, you know, some time and attention and leftovers, then okay, then go ahead and seek the kingdom. That's not the way it ought to be. And that's not the way the disciples followed him. Because following him requires a willingness to sacrifice everything. Jesus made that clear in Luke 14. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Uh, As we've studied this morning, there's a lot of people who diligently seek Jesus. They claim to be religious and they claim to be disciples just like the, all the Jews we've read about. And in their case, they were literally following Jesus around and looking for Him. And yet, when they hear the words that they must believe and they learn about the things they must do, they reject Christ because it doesn't fulfill their desires for either they're, to protect their religious order, to get something out of Him, to see some great miracle, to prove that He was their Messiah. And they all walked away disappointed because they didn't get what they wanted out of Jesus. We can't do that. We need to come and give Jesus what He wants out of us. Give, us. give Him our obedience. And so the question for us this morning is, are we seeking Christ for the right reason? Because if we're not, we're going to be disappointed with the answers that we get from the Scriptures. We're going to be disappointed when we come to the Bible and don't hear what we want to hear. And we're going to turn away and walk away from Him. So the encouragement for us is, don't, don't seek Christ just so you can kill him and move him out of the way and protect your man-made religion. Don't seek Christ just for an entertaining show and you wanna see some great thing. Don't seek Christ to fulfill your own political ideas or your own false religion. Don't come to Christ to be a freeloader and a taker and just get, get, get from him and get all these blessings. And don't come to him as a shallow disciple, uninterested in his word. Seek Jesus and pursue Jesus uh, because you know He has the words of eternal life and you want that life and you want Him to change your heart. You want Him to change your life and you want to pursue Him diligently. I pray that, that uh, the lesson this morning is useful for you. I hope it's, it's uh, encouraging. It's certainly been good for me. And uh, if there's anybody here this morning that, that feels like you need help seeking Christ for the right reasons, Uh, We want to encourage each other and pray for each other. So if you have a need this morning, please feel free to come forward as we stand and we sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.